Hey folks, it is Monday morning, April 25th, and as I try to get back into a more regular recording schedule, I think honestly the biggest problem I'm going to have is getting my computer in a place where I can record quietly and privately. I figured I would start off once again by giving us an introduction to where we are in the seasons. I think it's important that we look at the league holistically, right? So break this thing down into a couple of segments. First segment here, I'm going to walk real quickly through the standings, where we all sit. And I'm going to go into a um, good, bad, and ugly, I guess would be the way to think about it, right? For each league. Talk about some quick surprises, uh, who's where. And then introduce a couple of ideas that um, might work here. Going forward, it would be cool to do like a series breakdown, but the problem is none of the series line up, or not none. They don't always line up the right way. So, um, yeah, that that's kind of the thought, right? But let's let's go through these things, right? Let's start. We started in the American League last year, last week, two weeks ago, however long ago it's been since I did one of these. We'll start in the National League this time. National League West. You will see a couple of streaking teams. Two teams that have been eight and two. This, this division is actually really, really divided uh, into like the teams that are hot, the teams that are not. Right, the top two teams have been eight and two over the last ten. The bottom th- three are three and seven over their last ten. Uh, sitting atop this division are the LA Dodgers at fifteen and seven. They are eight and two over their last ten, including a six-game win streak. Fifteen and seven for the Dodgers. Behind them sit the Colorado Rockies at 13 and 8. That puts them a game and a half back. They are also 8 and 2 over their last 10 with this modest two game win streak. Behind them, the Arizona Diamondbacks at 10 and 12. Puts them five games back of the Dodgers, three and a half back of the Rockies. They're 3 and 7 over their last 10, as they have certainly hit a rough stretch in their schedule. The Padres sit behind the Diamondbacks at 10 and 13, five and a half back of the Dodgers, half game back of the Diamondbacks, and four back of the Rockies. They are three and seven over the last 10, have lost three straight, um, which I guess consists of just, uh, oh, see, stepped outside my boundaries, consisted of a sweep at the hands of the Dodgers. Two of them won run games, won a blowout on Saturday. Um, And then in last place, you have the Giants. The absentee ownership for a bit as John Hines was on vacation. He came back and brought them back from the, from the pits of despair, but has since fallen back into what we all expected to be a rough season um, as the Giants sit 8-15, and 7.5 back of the division-leading Dodgers, two games back of the Padres, uh, and then so on and so forth. They've lost two straight, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. In the Central, uh, bleak, <laughs> bleak situation in the Central a division we know will get better than it is right now that will be hotly contested. But, man, a lot of teams here off to a rough start. The Reds sit atop the division at 11-11. and 11. They're 6-4 and four over their last 10. Half a game back of them sit the Brewers, 11-12, and 5-5 five and five over their last 10. A game and a half back of the Reds, uh, only a game back of the Brewers. The Cardinals at 9-12, 3-7 their last 10. The Pirates sit... Two and a half back of the division leaders at nine and fourteen, three and seven over their last ten as well. And the Cubbies sit at the basement here, eight and fourteen, only three back of the leaders. And you can kind of do the math of the latter here, three and seven over their last ten. This division should be a three-team race between the Brewers, Cardinals, and Pirates. At the top here, the Reds certainly showing that they have more gusto than expected. The young team with some veterans on their uh, eating up salary space, 
performing very well, you know, for their standards here early on in the year. I think if you could tell them they'd finish 500 on this season uh, before this, this year started, they probably would have taken it. That'd be their um, first 500 season since 2019 if they finished well below um, the 500 mark over the last two years. So the Reds certainly showing some early promise here in the central. And then in the east, you have uh, two teams, again, running away with this thing early on. The Nationals at 16-7, and seven, the very much expected division leader, I think, from a lot of people. They were 8-2 and two over the last team. Uh, last 10, excuse me, the Mets coming back from the depths of 2021, whatever the hell that was, after selling off a couple of big pieces, seemed to have figured it out at 15 and 7, half a game back, 8 and 2 over their last 10 as well. The Marlins sitting third at 11 and 11, uh, four and a half back of the Nationals, four back of the Mets, six and four over their last 10. The Braves sit at 11 and 12 as their offense just continues to sputter throughout everything. Um, five games back, four and six over their last 10. The Phillies sit in the basement at eight and 13, seven games back, five and five over their last 10. So the East, I mean, there's some new names. If you, if you go back to last year, actually nobody who won their division is currently leading their division in the National League East or National League at all. So that's, that's kind of fun. Um, but some tight races early, early on. Let's go to the West or to the American League, excuse me, American League West, the Angels, Last time I did this, we're in dead last. Have unsurprisingly battled their way back to the top. They're fifteen and seven, sitting atop the uh, American League West, eight and two over their last ten. The Astros have fallen back to second place, thirteen and eight. A pedestrian five and five over the last ten. They're a game and a half back of the Angels. Um, the Mariners coming off a weekend sweep at the hands of the Royals are thirteen and nine, two games back of the Angels. 5-5 five and five over their last 10, including a three-game losing streak currently. The Rangers sit in fourth at 11-11. Eleven eleven. They've been 3-7 and seven over their last 10, four games back of the Angels. Uh, and the Oakland Athletics at 11-13. and 13. They had a nice little start, have really, really cooled off. A 3-7 and seven over their last 10, five games back of the Angels to sit in the basement of the American League West. In the Central, the Royals, one of the better stories in baseball to start the year, are 14 and 8, 6 and 4 over their last 10 in a three game win streak to boot. They are two games up, 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 there it is. Took me a second to find the pronunciation of that word. At 12 and 10, uh, two games back of the Royals. Wait a second, I forgot to finish that sentence. So the Royals are two games up on the Twins, there we go, who sit at 12 and 10, two games back of the Royals, 5 and 5 over their last 10. The Tigers sit behind the Twins at 10 and 13, four and a half back of the Royals, two and a half back of the Twins, six and four over the last 10. This modest two game losing streak uh, here over the last couple games. The Guardians sit at nine and 13, five back, six and four over the last 10. They started this season in what can only be described as one of the rougher starts for new management, um, but they've, they've really held on and, and righted the ship a little bit. Here for the last couple, and the White Sox sitting in the basement, seven and fifteen, three and seven over their last ten, as the White Sox still struggle to find an identity um, and really pull this thing together. As this team has been so up and down over the last couple of years, more down than up, to the chagrin of Jonathan Hodges. In the American League East, you have the baseball best. Oh, good lord, that was a rough sentence. You have baseball's best record in Toronto at seventeen and five for the Blue Jays, seven and three over their last ten, including a two-game losing streak. If you did that quick math in your head, yes, that does mean over the first twenty games of the season, the Blue Jays went seventeen and three. This team has been spectacular. The Rays have battled their way 
into second place here at 12 and 10, five back of the Toronto Blue Jays. They are seven and three over the last 10 as well, including a five game winning streak, which has seen them rise from what fourth place all the way up here to second. Uh, right behind them sit the Boston Red Sox, who have really, really struggled since the hot start. They are 11 and 10, five and a half back of the Jays, half game back of the Rays, three and seven over their last 10, including a three game losing streak over the weekend. They did just go out and acquire a new pitcher in Zach Potter. Um, you know, one of those those really, really talented arms, great stuff, never lived up to his potential in the National League uh, with the, the Cardinals. So being brought over to Boston, after a really bad start, you own two with a 10.12 ERA across three starts and a bullpen appearance for Zach Potter, hoping a new, um, you know, new home shows new results here as he comes to the Boston uh, rotation that desperately needs to level this thing out. Um, behind them sit the Baltimore Orioles after a just disastrous start, have played above 500 ball over their last 10. They sit at 8 and 13, 8 and a half back of the Jays, 6 and 4 over their last 10. And in the basement, the New York Yankees, 4 and 19, 13 and a half back, 2 and 8 over their final 10. That is a look at your standings for the year. This is where we all sit on April 25th. Let's talk real quick good, bad, and ugly. For each league after I take a break. Hey, here's a quick commercial break for you. Um, I don't know how to do, what do you call them? Transitions? Yeah, transitions. But I had the thought of, instead of doing stupid fake commercials between segments, why not do some uh, some facts, some, some history, some did you know? So, this is something I put in the chat exactly 25 days ago today. Did you know that there are five teams in MLB pro history who have never won their division. This would be our 11th year. Hang on a second. I'm pretty sure it's our 11th year. One, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It is, in fact, our 11th year. And the five teams who have never won their division, San Diego Padres, the Colorado Rockies, the Chicago Cubs, the Houston Astros, and the Philadelphia Phillies. That is your MLB Pro Did You Know for this particular episode. All right, well, with no real transition from either one of those, I'll figure out what music later on. Let's start good, bad, ugly, American League. And there is literally no other choice. I say that. There's a solid couple of runner-ups here, but there's no choice to go anywhere but Toronto if you're going to talk good, right? I mean, you just can't do it. Toronto, as has been covered previously, has the longest-running streak of division championships at three. They've won division championships in 2019, 2020, and 2021 with diminishing returns, mind you. Uh, 105 wins in 2019, 103 in 2020, 93 in 2021. Interesting enough, the Pythagorean record has been pretty much dead on. They've been expected to win 98 or 99 games in each of the last four seasons. Take that back to 2018 as well. And they're in that same range. Um, the Jays have been ridiculous. And it hasn't been... I guess it hasn't all been one thing. Now, they're leading the league in runs against. Part of that is because they have been very good 
um, on the base pass. Strangely enough, they're, they're not a team that has a bunch of guys that not only do they steal a ton of bases, they're just not known as particularly aggressive base runners, particularly intelligent base runners. But their base running has average or has contributed plus seven runs on the year. It's not a ton, but it's it's a lot early on. Whether or not that continues is a different story. But the real reason, if you will, that that Toronto is winning is they're scoring runs and they're not letting up runs. The 78 runs against, which is what the um, the Jays currently sit at, leads the American League, obviously, as you would probably imagine. It leads the American League, 73, 78 runs, excuse me. It leads their division by seven. The closest is um, the Jays. Actually, they've allowed the same amount of hits. I'm sorry, the, good Lord, the, the Orioles who have allowed 170 hits, which is the same as Jays. The next closest in runs in the American League would be... What is it? Uh, the Angels. They've allowed 83 runs. The Angels actually allowed less earned runs. They've only allowed 70 earned runs, but Toronto's 73, but... Still, we're talking about runs allowed in its entirety. They allowed a 227 average against, only a 305 OBP. Again, both of those numbers, top two, top three in the league, only bested an OBP by two percentage points, two hundredths of a percentage point. Um, by who else? The Baltimore Orioles, eight and thirteen. Their their season is a wild, wild mess. Offensively, they've been very good. I mean, they have not been, you know, earth-shatteringly good. They're tied in RBIs um, to lead the American League with Toronto, or with Detroit, excuse me, uh, 126. They've scored 100, 126 of the 127 runs scored that they have scored this year have been uh, RBIs. Boston's 114 for 114, so no unearned runs scored by the Sox yet. They've drawn 99 walks, which leads baseball. They've struck out 174 times, which leads their division. And is top five in the American League, which is behind Houston, Seattle, Cleveland, and Kansas City. In terms of offensive performance here, right? That's where we're going right now. 50% stolen base. The Jays are the story. They have been awesome in every category possible. You expected this, right? This team went out and made a statement. They, they've been winning a division year over year. The division is getting better. It is not good enough to compete with Toronto yet, but it's getting better. And they went out and they made some moves. Josh Wilcox, specifically, if you remember, was brought in from the Mets in the offseason. Uh, for the Hall of Mackenzie Gore, Carol Curtis, and some others, but Mackenzie Gore being the real prize here, who is starting for the Mets rotation. He made the jump into the AAA finally. Uh, he started four games this year and is pitching very well. So Josh Wilcox has come in. He bats second in this lineup, is playing left field. He's in 280 with three home runs, 14 RBIs, sandwiched in between Ryan Nash and Giancarlo Stanton. 
Giancarlo Stanton, longtime Blue Jay Ryan Nash. He's been there a couple of years at this point. This is his third or fourth year. I don't remember. Bradley Opardo, long floundering in San Francisco. The world wanted to see him get out. And Bradley Opardo made his way to Toronto in the offseason after John Hines took over the reins in San Francisco um, for Armando Garcia. John Carlo, John David Carlton, Zachary Evans, Miguel Harado, right? A lot, of, a lot of younger players that John Hines is hoping will build, um, will be able to do something down the line. And Braulio Pardo, all he's done is hit 311, eight home runs, 26 RBIs. The dude is on pace to slaughter his career highs, which has been a Hall of Fame type career for the MLB Pro, mind you. The dude is on pace to hit 60 home runs and 200 RBIs. Now, obviously, that's not going to continue. It's stupid. But he has been everything Toronto could possibly hope for and more. Toronto has also allowed him, playing the American League, to get out of the field. He's only started four games in the field. He's, he's caught four games. He's been fine behind the plate, right? But he's allowed to DH a ton while Charles Cutler the addition last year from what the angels i think yeah he was a free agent they signed last year out of the angels placed the catcher position and plays it as well as he could have possibly played right he's just he's consistent up and down the lineup these people are just doing what they're supposed to do chris cease another guy they got from the mets this offseason a defensive wizard right up the middle I assume he will be playing both shortstop and second base, mostly second base to start the year, though. He's offensively not been great, but that's not what they brought him in for. They brought him in to play defense and run the bases. Brandon Brownwell is playing shortstop. Yeah, they have their, their center infield is just spectacular. Anyway, the, the Jays are the story. A 17-3 start is ridiculous, right? It, it's, it speaks to what Mitch has done with this team over the years. We'll see what happens coming up. They they really don't get tested. I mean, it, it's it's belittling to the teams they played to say they're not getting tested because they played some good teams, right? They just lost two out of three to Houston, which is rough. They went on a hell of a winning streak against the Rays, uh, the J- yeah, the Rays, Orioles, Yanks, Ace. I mean, so they played some weak competition, but still, it's, it's baseball. They will not play a team that would be maybe considered a contender outside of Houston. Because I think Houston and, and Boston's played well. So they, they have what? This would be seven games. That would be ten games. They played ten straight games against the Red Sox and the Astros. They only get three against the Yankees, four against Cleveland, two more against the Yankees, three against Tampa. Then they get Seattle mid-May. They get the Reds, who currently lead the NL Central. The... Cardinals, who was up 500. Then you start getting into the Angels here. I mean, this... this They vary... Before you get to June, then you get Twins, you get the Royals, you get... Who knows what Milwaukee is at this point. Like, their, their schedule does not really get hard for a minute. The point being, Toronto is set up to have built enough of a lead early on in this season, that they may not be able to be caught. Because I do think that there's some good teams here. Had Toronto stumbled. 
they could have maybe made it, made, made it this interesting, but I think Toronto's built the lead that they needed to build, and they will continue to build that lead here in the next little bit. So they are the good. If you want to talk about the bad, you have to talk Chicago. The White Sox are a team that believed internally that they were a not only a playoff team, but a championship contending team with a rotation of Bill Black, Jeff Wallace, Eric Braun, Bill Howe, Tyler Pill, Richard Dean, another six-man rotation here. I don't know what to make of it. It's another one where, like, an injury derailed them a little bit, and it's tough to blame everything on a single injury. Roberto Torres was off to a ridiculous start, batting 424 over eight games before getting hurt. On May 9th, he's still out for three to four more weeks. Wait, sorry, on April 9th. Now, the White Sox were only three and four at that point, so it's not like they were off to a torrid start. They've gone four and 11 since then, losing series to Seattle, Tampa, being swept by the Guardians, which is rough, scoring two runs over three games. Uh, they weren't swept. They they was a, they lost three of four. I forgot they lost. That's a three game, four game series. Losing two of three to the Twins. The White Sox team is in disarray. Would be the only way I can think about putting this. They are struggling to get on base. Like aggressively struggling to get on base. 71 runs scored. Puts them tied for the Guardians last in the American League. 71 runs scored. Last in the American League. And it puts them, I believe, ahead of only one National League team. And that would be the Chicago Cubs, who have scored 68 runs. So they have the second worst Offensive production in baseball, 71 runs, only 69 RBIs. I mean, that puts them ahead of Pittsburgh, who have scored only 68 RBIs, and Chicago, so 65, which puts them in dead last, tied for dead last still with, with Cleveland in the American League. In fact, <clears throat> they were a good 32 runs behind the next closest in the AL Central, which would be the Kansas City Royals, who only scored 103 runs. To the top of the division, mind you. They have 15 home runs. Which puts them last in the American League. Second to last in all of baseball behind only Miami. We hit 13 home runs. And even when they are able to hit these home runs, which is not a lot of them, mind you. We just kind of covered that number, right? Nobody's on base. They've struck out... 228 times, which leads the American League Central. It puts them behind the Yankees, but they're the ones leading the division. It puts them second, third in the American League, excuse me, as Oakland has struck out a couple of more times. They've also played two more games. So the the White Sox, the second highest strikeout per game offense in the American League Central. Or in the American League as a whole, excuse me, still sitting only behind Pittsburgh. 23 games. Only truly sitting behind Pittsburgh and the Yankees, in my opinion, in terms of total strikeouts. 
How do you fix this? If you are White Sox ownership, what do you do? Because I think historically, the, the White Sox team has been one that builds a vision in the offseason, likes to see it play out for a couple of months, but hasn't had the patience to stand pat through the trade deadline in an entire year. If I look up and down this team, like, I don't know. Do you sit still? Tink Jones is batting under 200. Keon Barnum's adding under 200. He's 14 RBIs, by the way, batting 193, which is ridiculous. Byron Buxton's batting under 200. Chris Owings is batting under 200. A lot of these guys have to turn this thing around. Owings was a free agent signing. Was he in Arizona, I think, last year? Jump on him where last year. I, I don't know, man. Like this team has 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 some. They have room to improve. The team is not as bad as they've played to this point. But it's a similar situation that if you find yourself being the Rays or the Red Sox at this point, like are they too far back of a team that's very good in the Royals? Now I don't know if the Royals are as good as they played to this point. The Twins certainly are as bad as they played to this point. But you're in a division where I can I can categorically say the White Sox are in a better position as a team constructed than the Guardians. They're behind the Guardians by a couple of games, but I'd say they're they're a better team construction. They're not a better team than the Twins on paper, even. I don't think they're a better team than the Royals. And honestly, I think the Tigers may have a case at this point to be considered a better team on paper than the White Sox. I do think that the rotation, specifically, is very, very good. And when you think about Xavier Noonan and Raul Aguilera coming back here in a couple of weeks, as both these guys are out for a couple of weeks, <clears throat> I think you may think the Tigers are the second or third best team in this division. They have a really good, I mean, have a really good lineup. With Noon, if Noonan and Aguilera are there, between those two, Devin Lewis, Yoria, Nolan Arenado, like Cameron, this this team is a sneaky good. They're not even sneaky. They're just good. Lineup. And it's going to come down to can Kyle Cody reproduce some of the magic he found down the stretch last year. I'm not supposed to be about the Tigers. I'm supposed to be about the White Sox. The White Sox are my bad. The ugly, I don't even sure I have to say it. It's the Yankees. The Yankees pitching, specifically, has been atrocious. But if we take a step away from the pitching for a second, because I think everybody understands... That the pitching has been bad. Their ability to get on base is what really frightens me. They've hit 54 home runs this year. 54 home runs. That's almost 7% of the entire home runs hit by the league. And they have 100 RBIs. 54 home runs, 100 RBIs. They're averaging less than two runs per home run they're hitting. I don't know how to rationalize that in my head. I mean, there's nobody else even at 40 yet. The power mashing Toronto Blue Jays. But let me just... That is 
more than two home runs a game. They played 23 games, they did 54 home runs, they have 100 RBIs. It's ludicrous to me how poor that ratio is. A 219 batting average. Basements in the American League. Pittsburgh's hitting 203, so not technically basements in baseball, but basements in the American League. 277 OBP. Basement in the American League. Still Pittsburgh behind them. Second to the worst in baseball. What do you do? Take that. Not being able to drive runs in. Low OBP. Low batting average. Couple that with the fact that their offense, or their, their pitching, is bad on its own. And then couple that with the fact that their defense is the worst in baseball. Highest errors. Lowest ZR. Negative 17.7. Again, I don't know this is how this statistic works, but that's almost one point per game. You have... I just, I don't know what to do with it. Like, Miguel Sano is a DH playing third base. Framil Reyes is playing center field, I think is what I saw. He... No, he's playing right. He's not the Samuel Reyes. Samuel Reyes is in the right spot. It's not Reyes. It's Paul Robbins. Paul Robbins is a left fielder playing center field. He's supposed to have a negative ZR of 1.3 in center field, one of the most important positions. Roger McAfee is a second baseman playing shortstop. He's supposed to have a negative 1.5 ZR. Three errors already in 22 games. So, you take... An offense that can't get on base whenever when the people are hitting home runs, and they are smashing home runs. You have a pitching staff that is not good in its own right, coupled with a poor defense behind them that isn't getting the balls, and when they are getting the balls, they're making errors. The Yankees are in blow-up mode. They have to be. This team has no prospects. We've covered this. I feel like we just we slam this team, and I don't mean to, because I see the vision of what they were trying to build. You can see what they were trying to do, and it was a good idea, but it's not working. They've got to burn it down, and I don't know what they're going to sell here to get anything back. They've got to make some good draft picks, and they've got to keep them. And this is a long-term rebuild. The ugly is the Yankees. Good. Toronto. Bad, Chicago, White Sox, ugly, Yankees. Let's talk National League here in a second. And finally, let's talk National League. My apologies if that is a repeat of what I just said, but I paused after the last segment uh, for multiple hours, and I'm now back to do the good, bad, and the ugly for the National League as I was trying to work. It's shocking, I know. Um, look, the National League is is tighter than the American League. Um the smallest gap in the National League between first, or the, the smallest gap in the American League, excuse me, the, the division leader and the team in second place is a game and a half. You have the, the Rays 
the Jays, excuse me, leading by five games. You have the Royals leading by two games, and you have the Angels leading by a game and a half. In the National League, the largest gap is a game and a half, where you have the Nationals leading the Mets by half a game. You have the Reds leading the Brewers by half a game, and you have the Dodgers leading the Rogers, Rockies. The Rogers, the Dodgers leading the Rogers. Dodgers leading the Rockies by a game and a half. So very, very tight divisions. Again, all of this needs to be said. I'm not even going to say it. I'm not saying any more times it's early, but it's a caveat, right? But let's talk because there are still some storylines here, and I think that makes for a fascinating conversation. The good in the National League has to be the Mets, a team that has been the absolute banner, like the flagship of consistency, of excellence over the years. Now, you say that they've only won two league titles since 2015, and I'm saying league titles, I mean, I guess I mean division titles. Um, and they did miss the playoffs in 2019, but they've also won 90 games or more from 2013 to 2020. They won a 90 games as a minimum and finished first or second every single one of those years. And then 2021, they finished 70 and 92, finished dead last in the National League East. Unreal. It's also with their highest payroll ever. They had never had a payroll above 188, which was the year prior in 2020. Still very high. Prior to that, their, their high was 138. Well, it was 188 last year. It's 209 this year. So that, oh, Sorry, it was 209 last year. Um, that, that, that payroll right there can't be right now, right? No, okay. Payroll so far, I guess, has been 26000 It's more than the Braves. Hey, just a real, uh, sorry, this is not what this conversation is about, but this is a real quick sal- salary cap conversation. Uh, the last three payrolls for the Mets, 2019, 138, 2020, 188, and 2021, 2000, or 209 million. 138 million, 188 million. What are we doing here? Am I? I'm off my fucking mind, aren't I? No. Okay, that's right. I just did an update. That's what I thought. So again, 2019, 138 million. 2020, 188 million. 2021, 209 million for the Mets. For the Braves, 93 million 2019, 84 million 2020. The payroll last year for the Braves when they made the World Series was 49 million. That's not a lot of money. Not what this is about. This is about the Mets resurgence. I just had to squeeze the Braves talk in there somewhere. This year, 15 and 7 out of the gate. They are third in the league in batting average, third in OBP, third in batting war, fourth in WOBA, second in their bullpen ERA. Their starters leave a little bit to be desired. Third in defensive. They're just a top quarter of the National League in every statistical category, bar a couple, right? They're getting performances out of Greg Bird, who you'd expect Greg Bird, 295, five home runs, 10 RBIs, right? The guy's continuing his performance to be an absolute all-star. Connor Capel, Connor Capel, however you want to say this, is a rookie superstar breakout candidate here, 24 years old, out of Katy, Texas. Started one game last year for the Mets, he has played 19 this year, hitting 353, only a 383 batting or OBP, only three walks drawn to 21 strikeouts. That ratio could be a problem as he develops. And pitchers start to figure him out. But six home runs, 14 RBIs, four stolen bases, has not been caught yet. 
He was playing very solid defense in uh, left field, which is where they have him put out there. He's got a negative ZR, but he's got a positive range. He's only made a couple of errors. I don't love that, I suppose, uh, this early on. But you got to love what you're getting out of this kid early in the year. They're producing like this with some real, um, I guess I guess the way to think about it would be like underperforming starts, right? Um, in center field, you have James Garza splitting time with a couple other people. Now, he's an excellent, excellent defender. He will be hell on the base pass. Uh, he's only stolen one base. He only has one extra base hit in his eight, eight starts. Like That's not going to cut it long term. He's getting on base, but he's not wreaking the havoc they thought he would, and he's not really... Um, who else is playing center field for them? I guess it's, it's James Garza is playing against righties. He's playing against lefties, too. Dan Decker. Where he's suspended. That's why. I was trying to think about who plays center field for the Mets. How could I forget Matt, the brave killer, Dan motherfucking Decker. Who, of course, at 34 years old, is having the best start he's had in a minute. Uh, batting 279 with a 392 on base percentage. Already 11 walks. Two home runs, nine RBIs. The guy is a monster. Um, so anyway, you've got Matt Dendecker playing center field, hitting the way you expect him to hit. James Garza will not be in the lineup for long, but I love him as a as a utility outfielder. I really, really do. Jeffrey Marte's off to a slower start than you probably expect out of a guy who's been incredibly productive over his Mets career. Now, he did see a monster drop. One of the biggest th- situations, one of the biggest reasons, I guess you could say, for the Mets, if you were looking for drop-offs would have been Jeffrey Marte missing a huge chunk last year. He tore his meniscus in June, missed the rest of the year, uh, has not quite looked like the same guy. Even before then, he didn't look to be producing at the same clip that the, the Mets had been expecting, right? He was on pace for somewhere in the 20, low 20s for home runs, which I guess would have been more consistent with his his career, but like that monster 2020 where he had 195 hits, 40 home runs, 116 RBIs. We seem to take something out of him. And he does seem to be struggling a little bit out of the gate. Uh, he's locked up long-term here. He'll be a free agent until 2016. Julian Wong, 31 years old, you know, had a really bad 2021. Also, some injury problems during the year, which really kept him out. But he is still a little bit sluggish out of the gates. You have to be happy if you're a Mets fan that you are at 15-7 and seven with the kind of production you're getting out of some of these people. Now, Elvis Andrews is hitting the ball really well. Like, you know, so you take, take, it, take it or leave it one way or the other. There's some good stuff going on and some bad stuff going on. But the Mets are back in the National League East conversation, right there nipping at the Nationals' heels with the Marlins and the Braves kind of buried a little bit farther behind them. They've done a really good job separating early on. So, if you're looking for the storyline, Bruce, not overly panicking. He did ship out some really, really good talent. Now, doing so, it did allow him to revitalize his rotation. Um, You know, Mackenzie Gore and Manuel Sachs being the uh, two top prospects in this team's whole stable. Both of them being in the rotation early on and both of them pitching to sub 2-5 ERAs early on is very exciting, especially when Alberto Vega is struggling the way he is and Nicola Dolo uh, will not struggle with a, with a, five, a plus 4 ERA the entire year. You got to be happy, right? And I think it's it's that's why this is my good story. There are other good stories here in the National League, right? But if you're a Mets fan or you're just a baseball fan, this is the one you really want to take a look at. There are a couple of other guys, by the way. Cody Clay could be coming up this year. 
pretty soon here. Um, Cutter Capel and James Garza are also in their top 100 prospects. There's a lot of guys in their top 100 that are like right here knocking on the door. So the Mets may be in a situation where they need to start offloading and consolidating down into single, singular players here from all these big prospects. That would be my good. The Dodgers are a real close second here, right? I love what happened in L.A. It's been consistent for Sam as he has had people beating down the door trying to drag Juan Soto out of Los Angeles. Uh, and he's just doubled down. Like, let me get more talent around this guy, more talent around this guy. And they're off to a great, great start offensively. Um, they're feeling a bit of pitching is actually really good too. Like their FIPs pretty, pretty high up here. Gotta love what the Dodgers are doing. That's that's my good B, right? I, I'll talk about them more in a later podcast because I love what they've done. And I think they deserve some time and some recognition. The bad is the National League Central. How 22, 23 games in are we in a situation where not one team is over 500 in this division? Not one, as we speak. The Reds sit in the top at 11 and 11. I did some analysis. The T, this division is just beating the shit out of itself, essentially. All of these teams have only played two series outside of the Central. And in those series combined, the National League Central is 13 and 27 against teams that are not in the National League Central. So you combine that with them just beating the crap out of each other, and you get a bad setup. Right? The teams in the National League Central. Need a break, I guess. I don't know. But this division as a whole, you can put its, its struggles on its offense. Because statistically speaking, from a, a runs allowed perspective, they have the number one, number three, and number seven ranked team in terms of how many runs they've allowed. Right? Pittsburgh's tied for third um, in, in runs allowed here this early in the year. The Cardinals are seventh. And runs allowed early on. Um, and it's the Reds, I believe, are the are number one. Yeah, the, the Reds have only allowed 69 nice runs early on in the year. Uh, and so you have three very, very good pitching staffs. The Brewers are an excellent pitching staff that has struggled early, but they're still in the top 10, um, which is only like the top 60-something percent. And then you got the Cubs, who are just atrocious at everything, apparently. But that's, that's, that's where the problem is, right? Because th- that's all runs against. That's fantastic as a division to be holding people to that level. Let's flip to the offensive side. And here's the team ranks from, for runs scored. 7th, 11th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. Batting average, 8th, 11th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. Right? The three worst offenses in the, in the senior circuit, but the absolutely less offensively productive division, have been BAD, bad. So the bad for the National League to me is an entire division, and I hate to, to take a shit on the National League Central, but it's the National League Central. It absolutely has to be. The ugly is a little bit harder to pick, right? Because you can pick out a lot of individual things here that are, that are very, very poor across the board. You can pick out uh, everyone on the Braves except Masutoro Ohayashi. Ohayashi has 23 RBIs. No one on the other team has more than seven. Right? So you can pick out their, intent, their ridiculous reliance on, on that team. You've got the fact that Taylor Sparks only has one home run 
on the year, which means he's trending towards seven on the year. The guy hit 43 in 2021, in case you were missing. Now, this, this power outage, by the way, stems back to the, net, to the postseason. He went through an absolute power outage in the postseason, World Series included. It was a big part of why the Braves couldn't even win a single game. But that's not where we want to focus our time. I think what you really have to look at are the Pirates. This is a team that has been confidently building into something impressive. They had 94 wins last year, won the division. Now they were six games above their expected record, right? They should have, the Pythagorean had them around 88 and 74. They finished 94 and 68 with a $73 million payroll. Again, not that much. And they went and made some transactions that, like, Myself had some questions about, but I think that the, that the front office believed in what they were doing, right? They, they made the trades they made, and forgive me for the life of me, I, I don't remember all of them. Um, one of them, I believe, was shipping off, that, this is during the year, but when they shipped Kurt Franklin to the Dodgers, that was a, an interesting moment for me. Uh, and that was a, the trade deadline, seven ten last year. Not exactly the deadline, but they got a couple guys back, right? I just, I just and Tyler Glasnow was the other one who went with him. Um, so anyway... Right? The, the Pirates are just off to a bad start. Now, I don't think you panic if you're in Pittsburgh. I don't think you're super, super worried long-term because the pitching has still been there. Uh, the starters specifically have been very good. Their FIP is first. Their pitching war is first. Striking a ton of people out, and their defense has let them down a little bit. But if you can get this offense right, I think you can really look at this team turning itself around, especially with a guy like Gunnar Graham probably seeing the majors later on in the year at some point. This team is too talented offensively to... I mean, Garrick Schleiss hitting 135, two home runs, four RBIs. He hit 260 in each of the last two years, 25-plus home runs, and the guy is off to an atrocious start. Cooper Johnson, eh, he's about what I expected. Got made the jump to a AAA. Like, I'm not, I'm not crying any spilled milk over Cooper Johnson hitting the ball. Alec Bohm, though, hitting 200 after a 262 rookie season. We get 30 home runs and 90 RBIs. Pacing towards seven home runs again. That's going to change. Obviously, it's early. But Alec Bohm hitting this way is not something that I expected. First base. Is Max Jacobson? There's no way he's played that many games at first. Max Jacobson is hitting fine. I just didn't really expect him to be the guy at first base. Sorry, that caught me off guard. But he hasn't, he hasn't driven any runs. Right, Bryce Terang has slowed down a little bit. He's never been an offensive monster. Though he did it 270 at AAA, hitting 224 as a as a uh, rookie. Jared Stevens is hitting 250, which is about where you expect him average wise. Maybe a little below, but again, the power hasn't been there. I think that's the story that you're seeing here for for Pittsburgh, and frankly, it translates to Atlanta a little bit. Some of these second year players and Baum and Stevens are having a little bit of a tough time coming out of their shell. Mason Marley entering his what? Third, second full season, actually played really, really well. Love what they're seeing out of Mason Marley if you are a Pirates fan. The long and short of it is they're not getting on base so they're not scoring runs. Fit 26 home runs, which is the top half for offensive production in terms of power production, 15th in batting average, 13th in runs scored, tied for 13th, so really could be 14th, right? 15th in OBP, 15th in OPS, 15th in WOBA. That's the problem, getting on base to knock them in when they finally score. So just a timely hitting piece. I believe this team is better than it's playing to this point. I think everybody does. The good news for the Pirates is that the division as a whole has taken a giant dump on itself. So the Brewers have been shit. The Cardinals have been shit. 
the Cubs are bad. The Reds are much better than maybe we expected at this point, but they're not like blowing everybody out of the water. So the Pirates have a chance to come back here. That's been good, bad, and ugly here on both the National League, the American League. We did a little recap on the, um, on the division standings. I forgot what else I said I was going to do, but this is probably plus 30 minutes at this point, so I'll go ahead and end it. Going forward, I think what I'm going to do is, is I will try to do like a series breakdown. Now, tonight, there are only six games. You have Rockies, Phillies, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Mets, Cardinals, Red Sox, Jays, that's a good one, Astros, Rangers, and Guardians, Angels. Frankly, I don't know if these are finishing up series or if these are starting series. In terms of the Red Sox, they're starting a series. So it's probably the start of four-game series here. We'll do a series preview maybe tomorrow, talk about the six games we had tonight, and uh, we'll get into this thing. Thanks for paying attention, y'all.